This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. It's Throwback Thursday. Hey everyone, it's Chris Makes a Podcast producer Chris Fafalius here to open the vault on another classic episode. As you know, our entire back catalog of episodes always remain as relevant as the day they were released because the stories behind the writing, recording, and release of the songs don't change. So I'd highly encourage anyone out there to take a look back through our archives wherever you listen to podcasts because we've had an insane list of guests. The one that we're sharing today was episode 31, which aired on December 28th of 2020. It featured some 41 frontman Derek Wibley discussing the iconic smash hit Fat Lip. As is the case with most Canadians I've ever met, Derek was a friendly and sweet guy, and it was really cool to hear him talk about such a fun song. And, of course, as longtime listeners of our show know, this is the infamous Doctor vs. Dentist episode in which we opened a huge can of worms about what our ears hear in this song. Derek seemed almost taken aback when Chris brought it up, which leads me to believe that it was the first time that this was ever brought to his attention. That being said, I think this lyric controversy became a sort of viral thing among Sum 41 fans because just a couple weeks ago, Sum 41, a year and a half after Chris brought this up on the episode, posted on their Instagram, do you hear doctor or dentist? And their fans went to town in the comments. For the record, I hear dentist. Well, anyway, I hope you all enjoy this episode. It's a great one. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you from the Chris Makes a Podcast Vault, episode 31, featuring Derek Wibley. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Derek Wibley, guitarist and vocalist for Sum 41. It was a pleasure to catch up with Derek, and we dove straight into the Sum 41 classic, Fat Lip. Recorded exactly 20 years ago this month, Fat Lip was the lead single from their debut album, All Killer, No Filler. We talk about how the song wasn't just some idea that quickly turned into the song as we know it today. This tune took a little work. Derek touched on the fact that when all the band members took turns exchanging vocal lines in the verses, they would all collaborate and work on those lyrics together. In contrast, he mentioned that when it was a part or verse where he sings alone, he tends to write those lyrics himself. Derek shared that Fat Lip was the last song written for the album and that he followed this pattern on the next two Sum 41 records, where the last song written ended up being the lead single. We talk about what producer extraordinaire Jerry Finn brought to the table from both a producer and arranger standpoint, and we got into a bit of a friendly disagreement over the words doctor and dentist. Huh, you say? Well, you're just going to have to listen to the whole episode to find out. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. It was uh, Thursday, October 23rd of 1998. Okay. Uh, we played at Call the Office together yeah. in London, Ontario. Yeah, it's <laughs> it funny was, you remember uh, that. Yep. It was, we were on tour with All and Braid, and there was this uh, little local band that I kept hearing about. You got to hear these guys. You got to hear these guys. And I remember watching your set that night, and uh, 
you know, how many uh, local bands have you seen over the years? We've we've seen them all, and yeah, uh, yeah, there was definitely something there. <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw these these young kids. You were you were still pretty raw then, but uh, I was just gonna say if you saw anything, I, I don't think it was the music back then. <laughs> it was definitely we were, were not very good, but um, you know, we we tried to make a present, I guess. <laughs> You know, it was a short time later, about a year and a half later, you released Half Hour of Power, uh, yep. your your first EP that came out in June of 2000. And then it wasn't even a year later, which this is impressive, that the uh, that All Killer No Filler came out. Uh, mm-hmm. That record uh, was released in May of 2001. So take us back now to Fat Lip. Was this something uh, that, that you wrote specifically for All Killer? Were you, were you playing this song uh, uh, prior to the album coming out or, or uh, you know, set it up? Tell, tell us where you're at when you wrote it. Yeah, well, Fat Lip was, I mean, it was a weird song. It, it didn't get completed until it was the last song for All Killer. Like we pretty much had the whole record done. And I had, I, I mean, I, I had a bunch of the parts for Fat Lip over time. Like I would say that song took about a year and a half to write, but I never really sat down and really worked on it a lot. It was just like now and then a little part would come. Like I had the riff first. That was the very first thing I ever had. And then I didn't do anything with it for like six months. And then I wrote one day, I had a chorus, which I didn't think was going to work with that riff necessarily. It was just a chorus. And I wrote, and I never touched it for months and months and never had anything else. Then a verse came and I started to realize over time that they all kind of work together. And the song became a song at the very, very end, which would have been, we recorded it, I remember, in December of 2000, um, right before Christmas. So like right around now, maybe you'd say like a week ago, 20 years ago. Um, that we were in the studio finishing up that song. Well, and that's why we wanted to get wanted to get this episode out uh, before the end of the year. It's going to be the last episode of this year because you tracked it in December, which I found interesting because when I went back and researched the song, this album was recorded over about a five-month period. I know it was recorded over a few different times throughout 2000. Uh, you know, I remember we did pre-pro early, like say March 2000. I think we took a break and then we started up in... A studio in Toronto with Jerry Finn for a few months and then we took a break and then we started back up in LA with Jerry Finn and then we had like we kept going on tour and then we came back to LA and did some more stuff with Jerry like around December. Well I noticed that the the credits of where it was recorded it was at Metalworks in Mississauga, yeah. Ontario and then it was also at Cello Studios in LA but I'm not familiar with Cello. Was that one? Was that a Jerry Finn studio or where was that? Cello was that is at? now called East West Studio. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was Cello back in those days but it's the exact same studio just called east west now so was jerry there from the beginning of uh of the recording yeah we met jerry even before we made half hour power when we signed our record deal in 99 we had i don't know how many songs were written but there was half hour power which is only like six songs i think really i mean there's, i think there's 11 tracks but some of it's instrumental stuff and um there were six songs and i think i had about like four more songs which i know was in too deep and maybe just a couple of them, a song called Motivation, Handle This, and a song called Rhythms that were all on All Killer. I had those pre-Half Hour Power, but we knew we were going to save that for All Killer. Um, so Jerry came on board. We, we knew he was going to do All Killer. We were going to go do Half Hour Power on our own, and I was going to keep writing uh, while I was on the road. And that's basically what happened. So the rest of All Killer started to come out while we were just touring around the U.S. Um, and Canada in support of Half Hour Power. You know, just like in hotel rooms and stuff like that, wherever I could sort of find some time just to, you know, get some songs down. 
And there was a couple tracks we recorded, I think uh, Makes No Difference was like a B-side on All All Killer. And wasn't there a track called Summertime you re-recorded for the album? Summer, So yeah, Summer and Makes No Difference were on Half Hour Power, and they were okay. going to be on All Killer because the label felt like the song Makes No Difference w- could have been a single, but it ended up being a single for Half Hour Power. So since that did actually end up going to radio, we made a video, we decided to just keep it off of All Killer because it felt like it was redundant at that point. So, and we're going to get into Jerry Finn later. We've talked about him uh, on the show before. Yeah. Uh, he's just uh, an amazing, <laughs> amazing, or was an amazing producer. Yeah. Uh, you know, rest, rest his soul. And we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into some, some talk about Jerry in a bit. So when, you know, I know you said this was the last uh, track recorded for the record. Mm-hmm. Was it still kind of being compiled at that point? Is that why it ended up being the last song recorded or just, just happened that way? No, it just sort of happened that way. And that was sort of a trend that happened for our first like four records. The, the the first single of every album seemed to be the last song I would write. I don't know why. It just, everything would be done. And I would have this weird burst of like creativity. And I would say, hey, I got this one last song just came to me out of nowhere. And it ended up being the first single on those those few records, those first few records. So for some reason, it just happened that way. That is awesome. I haven't had anybody on the show say that before. That's really that's really cool. And uh, it almost did. Uh, well, I guess after the first one, like when you went to the second, I guess when you did, does this look infected? Yeah. Did you think like, okay, here's here's the the last song I'm writing. This has to be the single, or was there pressure at that point? <laughs> no, because what happens? It's never like, okay, here's going to be the last song. We're, we're usually at a point where, okay, records like we we've got all the demos done. We're going to go into the stu- the studio's booked. We start next week. Or we have the first single picked. It's going to for that one was in too deep. That was the first single. We knew that's every that was the plan, and. You know, it's like a couple days before. Well, with with that one, we were on the road and we had to keep going back into the studio. But um, that song sort of just came out of nowhere, and we had to like go into a studio. We had to book a studio for that particularly. Whereas, like, does this look infected? We were about we recorded that in New York, and we were about to fly to New York. And I think it was the day before we left. Something hit me. I wasn't planning on writing anymore, and the song "Still Waiting" came, and I showed it to the guys, and we had to kind of just pre-pro it and you know, do it in the studio in New York. And similar kind of thing happened with the next album. It was the whole record was recorded, mixed and ready to go. And I had this song all of a sudden. And so we had to book a studio and go in and do that. And that became We're All to Blame for the Chuck album. I don't know why. It's like once the pressure of like the record's like all written and ready to go, this thing just pop uh, would appear, the song. Well, I think most would agree that's a great problem to have, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, The only problem with that, though, is like everyone started to count on that. So there would be like this pressure, like if I didn't write a song at the end, everyone would be waiting for this special song to come in. After that, it didn't really happen anymore. And then I'd start to get even, you, you start to get um, anxiety about it. Like, I, oh man, I, I hope I write this song. What does it mean? I didn't write a song this time. What does that mean? Have I lost it? I don't, you know, you start getting in your head like, yeah. Is the rest of the record good enough? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so going back, do you remember the initial 
reaction from the band, the guys, when you showed them? Was everybody excited about Fat Lip or was it kind of just like uh, one of the other songs at that point? Or was there uh, initial excitement? I think there was some excitement from... um like I think it was like kind of split. I don't think anyone didn't like it. I just think some people thought. Uh, I remember it was like you know Cone and Steve-O sort of thought, yeah, okay, cool, nothing special. Whereas I think Dave and I really thought this is a really cool song. But no one, no one didn't like it. But I think my excitement when I when it was finished and just as a demo, I thought this was the first single. There was just no doubt in my mind, and I don't think we all we didn't all share that sort of feeling. Right, and you know, I remember hearing the song. Uh, when it came out, like probably heck back then it was probably on MTV. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I was stunned. And again, we'll get into Jerry Finn in a bit. I was stunned by the production and just where you guys had come in those two years. I'm like, whoa, it's just <laughs> the track just sounded, well, it just sounded amazing and so catchy. And I got it immediately because suburban angsty kids, you had, you had the metal references in there. You had the rap in there. And, and it, of course the, 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 the punk uh, aspect of it. And it was just, uh, it's just a great song. And I just remember it being all over, uh, all over the radio. You couldn't escape it in 2001. It was just such a great summer type vibe. I want to get into the lyrics here, which are sure. just, they're hilarious. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they're really funny. They're, and they're really well, they're really well put together. And I, I say that in, with all my heart. It's not like they're hilarious, just crappy lyrics. They're just really funny. And just the, your guys' delivery, the way that you, you put it together is awesome. And we're going to go into the, uh, we'll talk about the intro real quick. So okay. the intro is that guitar riff. That was that riff you were talking about that you kind of just had sitting around that ended up being melded with the other riffs, correct? Yeah, I had that riff for, I don't know, it could be almost two years maybe. Um, and it actually started out as a slow song. It was, you know, the tempo was totally different and I had some different chords behind it. And it was really kind of just melodic and, and kind of, it, it was kind of flowy in a way. Like it was like, and it was just more of like, I don't know. It wasn't what it was, and but I really liked how it sounded, and then one day I just decided to speed it up, and all of a sudden, okay, now it felt like it had energy, but it needed something behind it, and it took a while before I could figure out what chords are going to play behind that, and then one day, just sort of like out of nowhere, I started playing a guitar, not intentionally trying to put chords behind this riff. I was trying to create a new, a different riff just for another a new song mm-hmm. and realize, wait a second, I wonder if that goes over this. And sure enough, it did. And then that's how the, the intro came. And I can relate to that. And I have talked about that on the show before where I have, and now everything of course is in our voice memos on our phone, you mm-hmm. know, you'd be wherever you're at, back of the tour bus, yeah. hotel room, you're like, oh, I got this riff. I want to record it so I don't forget it. I've had stuff laying around for years and I could never figure out what to meld it with. And a lot of times, you know, the riff is so special and so good that you don't want to just throw it away to to a song that, mm-hmm. that isn't as good as the riff. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Yeah. And so this intro goes for about 12 seconds, just the guitar. Then the band breaks in for another 12 seconds, maybe 10 seconds, about roughly a 22 second intro. And then boom. It's 
funny because at the time period this song came out, there was a lot of rap rock, which you guys are yeah. not at all. That's not yeah, your yeah. thing. And I knew that hearing this. I was like, okay, they're not going for the the Limp Biscuits at the time yeah, and, yeah. And, and any any of that. I could tell this was like you know, you guys were obviously, there's some Beastie Boys in there, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're influenced by that, but this wasn't necessarily who you were, but uh, the, here's the lyrics to the first verse, and we'll, and we'll uh, have you talk about it in a second. Storming through the party like my name was El Nino, when I'm hanging out drinking in the back of an El Camino, as yeah. a kid, was a skid, and no one knew me by name, trashed my own house party because nobody came. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you remember writing that or was that like, did you have it in a notebook or something? Or was that written specifically for the song? Yeah, well, um, I do remember writing it. It was, that was like, uh, there was a collaboration between Steve-O, myself and Dave. And we'd written some rap stuff before like that. We, we always, I mean, our influences were, you know, old school rap stuff. Like we love Run DMC, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J. That kind of stuff was what we loved doing and or listening to, and we liked to somewhat as a joke, just kind of write these joke rap songs. And we we had a bit of a rap song on like that was kind of like this on half hour power. There's a little moment sort of in the middle of the record that has that kind of feel on it. And we knew we wanted to do something, but like a little bit better because we liked what we did before. But um, I so I had that first line. I had that line kicking around just because, you know, just like you do. You're just like you put something on your phone, a little voice note. I thought that lyric was funny, the storming through the party, like my name was El Nino. And that came from there's a Chris Farley skit where he's like... I'm El Nino, and you know, all the tropical stores <laughs> yeah. bow before me because I'm El Nino. I am El Nino. All other tropical storms must bow before El Nino. Yo soy El Nino. For those of you who don't habla espanol, El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. And so. That's where that just came from. I don't know why. It just, that was in my head. And that's all, that's the only line that existed for, for a long time. And um, when we went to record the song, we sat down, we were like, we need lyrics. So we sat down in a room and uh, we just started, you know, come up with a bunch of different rhymes. And um, that's sort of what we ended on. Yeah, I like the lyric, as a kid was, was a skid. I feel like, I'm pretty sure that was Dave that said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a skid's just a, just kind of like this, I don't know, piece of crap kid or. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for, so in, I mean, a lot of people asked us what that meant back then because in Canada, a skid is like what you guys, well, in the States would call like a Hesher, I guess. Ah. So we would call them skids. Like okay. we never heard of Hesher. Well, that was so weird to us. We're like, no, it's a skid, like a, yeah, like a skid rocker kind of guy. <laughs> so. I dig it. So, okay. Uh, yeah. But it's the same kind of, it could mean the same kind of thing, you know, which is like. Yeah, like a trash kid, you know. <laughs> right, right. Okay, that's a yeah. It's just a great, a great lyric. And I thought maybe I almost thought like a skid, like a skid row bum. You're just a bum or something. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, except you happen to like rock music. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. So we get into uh, the pre-chorus. I know I'm not the one. 
you thought you knew back in high school, mm-hmm. never going, never showing up when we had to. Attention that we crave. Don't tell us to behave. I'm sick of always hearing, act your age. Mm-hmm. And before I have you set that up, I want to say that, and, and don't take this the wrong way at all, these lyrics are something that I don't know if you could write today. This was this is what you were kind of living back then. You were a kid yeah, when yeah, you wrote absolutely. this. Is, is, that, is, that fair to, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I always say that, um, you know, when people ask me how my writing style is, and is it different or is it the same? And I would say it's kind of the same as it's always been. I always write about myself and my life today and that's just who I was back then you know it's the same process it's just different things you're writing about you know like with the rap lyrics the three of us would sit down and write those and then when the singing stuff that was sort of I had some of those lines already I didn't labor over those like we did with the rap stuff where it's the three of us really trying to think of something that makes sense and they flow and stuff like that where the the singing lyrics that was just me kind of like throwing away words quickly yeah and that makes sense because you guys sitting around you crack a couple beers you're having a laugh writing the rap thing yeah I could see how that would that that would lend itself to, to writing like that but this other part you know this is this is you just singing at that point yeah this is what you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna focus on which which makes sense so so everything in here um I'm sick of always hearing act your age. Was was that from teachers, your parents, or just life? You were that's you're just a punk life. Kid, so it's it's life again. Like um, I, I was trying to say like with the ones where we sat down and worked on them together. There's a little bit more of um, there's more wit and they're probably a, a tad bit more clever. Whereas the lyrics that I'm singing, like I said, are just kind of throwaway words that just kind of came to me quickly. Probably a little less clever than uh, the other stuff. <laughs> a little less thought put <laughs> yeah, into but, it anyway. Uh, but uh, but man. Isn't there, and you know this as you've grown as a, as a writer, there's sometimes when something has to be, and I, I hate using this word, but it has to be dumbed down a little bit. You know, it can't all be highbrow stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think the point and the message comes through, which is the important thing, I think, in, in those lyrics. Like, yeah, they're not the greatest lyrics of all time by any means, but you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't I don't think they had to be any uh, any different than they uh, did, and as attested by the uh, 108 million YouTube views of the song, <laughs> <laughs> so the song has has stood the test of time. And uh, just seeing you guys play this, I mean, when when there's an undeniable hit, and I've watched you guys not too long ago play this song to a crowd, you start that opening riff, and then when the band kicks in, just the whole place is jumping. It's just an, it's incredible to see at for, the 40 second mark. We're at the first chorus. I don't want to waste my time. Become another casualty of society. I'll never fall in line. Become another victim of your conformity and back down. Again, not a lot of thought put into it, just sort of the words that kind of came. Um, you know, a lot of ways that I write lyrics is um, when I'm doing the demos, I sing a lot of just gibberish. And I think a lot of people probably do this too. And you hear words that are in there that you've accidentally sang or a word that's like just a, a nonsense word kind of sounds like something and you start to write, okay, this is what I'm trying to say. That's how I find yeah. it, especially in those days. Even though this song has somewhat of a theme through it, we never spoke about what should this song be about. It was just words that kind of came. The rap stuff was like, well, that's what's funny and what makes sense. And somebody had a line and that would sort of inform the next line. But we weren't talking about, let's write a song about us and our teenage life or anything. It was just, 
is just whatever comes comes you know real quick where was jerry finn at this point at least lyrically what what, what did he think did he have much input or was he letting you be who you were just letting you guys kind of kind of do it or did, did he have suggestions uh, uh do you, that you remember not not in this particular part or this song because this is um we weren't actually in the studio with Jerry when we were doing all this stuff. We were back at home working on this, knowing that we were hopefully going to have a, a batch of new songs to go in and record. We were still kind of, you know, in the middle of touring on the Half Hour Power thing and coming home and working on some music. He knew the song existed, and I, he had the demo, which was all nonsense words. There, there wasn't a single line. The only line was storming through the party like my name was El Nino. Um, and then everything else was gibberish. And so he knew the song, he liked it, and he just was, you know, go do what you do, and we'll, we'll, we'll get together and record it soon. Hey everybody, before we get any deeper into this Throwback Thursday episode with Derek Wibley, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, Artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Hey, Chris Demakes, a podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here. You may have heard me talk about my band Punchline before. Maybe you already know us, or maybe you're hearing about us for the first time right now. It doesn't matter. No matter what your relationship with Punchline is, I will absolutely guarantee that you'll love our new podcast, A Band Called Punchline. Starting with our humble beginnings in a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1997, we're telling the hilarious, strange, and hopefully inspiring story of the 25-plus years of our band in the most honest way possible, podcast style. A Band Called Punchline is an audio documentary available now wherever you get your pods, So subscribe and let me and my friends share a wild, entertaining, unique, and wonderful tale of music and perseverance unlike any other that's still being written today.
And now, back to the show. I already asked you what the band's initial reaction. So Jerry's initial reaction was, was he liked it. He said, this song is a hit. He's the second year of the demo with no real words. He was like, this is your first single. And I was like, that's what I've been feeling too. I haven't oh, I hadn't cool. showed it to anybody really. Um, I was really nervous about it because of the rap thing. So when I, when I made my first demo, it was just me rapping gibberish back and forth. And I hadn't shown it to anybody. I hadn't shown it to the band yet, but I did show it to Jerry and he gave me the confidence to, you know, start playing it for for other people because he thought this is the well, first. I was gonna, song, you know, yeah. Well, I was going to say because I mean, obviously, you respected him and look at his uh, roster of bands at that point that he had done. You know, he mixed Dookie, he had done mm-hmm. Enema of the State. I mean, he had done all these these massive records, and uh, that had to give you a boost of confidence. Like, wow, yeah, this idea that I think is kind of a hit or could possibly be the first single. I got the producer on board with me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't really think in terms of hits in those days, because we'd never had a hit, you know, so I didn't know what makes a hit or anything. I knew that I felt strongly enough that it should be the first song that people hear from the record. Didn't know if it was going to be a hit or not. But when Jerry said, you know, this is this is a hit, I felt a little bit more confident about it, at least to show people. I've always been very nervous to show people music and still am. Now had the had the label heard it, and I believe your manager at the time was was a was it Greg Nori or Greg? I know it's spelled like Greg. Yeah, yeah it's Greg. Greg, Greg Nori. Yeah. Uh, what did what did the label or, or or anybody else feel? They were they all kind of feeling the same thing. So Greg Nori felt the same way as Jerry, and like I said, the band was just sort of like some of us were split about it, I guess. But again, no one didn't like it, but it was just. Um, the excitement level was probably varied. I can't remember if I showed the, I don't think I showed the label this demo. I think we waited till we went in and did like a real demo with the band and had all the guys voices on it. Um, did like a rough demo in a studio um, before we showed it to the label. And I remember once we showed them that they all, cause everyone was gung ho on in too deep. They all thought we've already got the first single picked. Everything else is sort of gravy at this point, and we knew it was going to be tough to sort of switch that that mindset. But the second they heard Fat Lip, they just said, we've got our first single. And now when you say they, was this the uh, Island Records American uh, subsidiary, or was it the... Because I know there was a Canadian uh, it was, part of it Island. It was the U.S. Yeah, we weren't part of the Canadian side. Okay, okay. So this is the U.S. side. Uh, coming out of the first chorus goes back into that riff. You got 10 seconds. It's just hitting you. It's awesome. And then we get into the second verse, which arguably my favorite line is coming up here. This killed me when I went and, and, and reread it. Because you don't know us at all. We laugh when old people fall. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 the irony isn't lost on me, Derek, because I'm almost 50 now. Okay. So th- this could be me falling. Th- thanks a lot. That's not old. Come on now. But uh, what we're talking would you like expect- 75 years old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what would you expect with a conscience so small? Heavy metal and mullets, it's how we were raised. Maiden and priest were the gods that we praised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, you're sitting around with with uh, with Dave and Steve-O and, and, and this, this this you decide this is the second verse. Yeah, it was all that that same day. We sort of, you know, I, I don't know many, I don't remember how many hours it took to come up with just those few lines, but you know, there was a ton of different lines and we settled on those ones. 
So there was a, there was there was definitely outtakes. This is what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, not recorded, but you know, we sat there with a you know pad of paper each, and we just you know you sit there for probably like four to five hours and just coming up with so many different lines. And you you know how that can go. It's like you start coming up with lines that you know you're never going to use, right? They're just to try to make the other guy laugh. And then you got to like, okay, let's rein it in. Let's pull. Let's let's try to be serious here. We've gone half an hour of joke lyrics that we're never going to use. And isn't it funny though, when you do that, you'll have, you'll each have a paper filled with joke lyrics and all of a sudden one will pop out and go, okay, we have to have that line in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's too, it's too funny and it's too clever and it's just too good. Uh, Pre-chorus number two is uh, same melody uh, pretty much as the uh, first pre-chorus, but the lyrics are different here. Was there any talk between Jerry or or thought uh, between Jerry yourself or the band with keeping the pre-chorus the same as the first time? Because there is a lot of information in this song. And a lot of times, lyrically, it becomes too much. You kind of want to, mm-hmm. you kind of want to uh, uh, bring it in a little bit into focus. Uh, or was the, was the second pre-chorus always different? You know, there was no there was no talk about it. It was just um, like I was saying when we did this part and made this demo with the the real lyrics and the band, uh, you know, the other voices on it. We played that for Jerry, and he just thought, you know, this is done. This is a perfect song to him. You know, he didn't have any comments about changing anything, and we never thought about it either. Cool. Okay. Okay. So pre-chorus two is, um, cause we like having fun at other people's expense and cutting mm-hmm. people down is just a minor offense. Then it's none of your concern. I guess I'll never learn. I'm sick of being told to wait my turn. Yep. So do you remember writing that or what, what, what was the, I, I, I guess I idea there or just, obviously it's a continuation of what's going on, but, uh, and do you remember if that was written, uh, or had the chance of ever being the first pre-chorus or was this kind of chronologically how it was? No, it was definitely, that's just how it was. Um, again, like not a ton of thought put into it. It was just, you know, you need some words. This is what I got. They sing well. Um, and then no, no, not really looking back at all. All right, we get into the second chorus. I don't want to waste my time, become another casualty of society. I'll never fall in line, become another victim of your conformity, and back down. And then we get into this uh, this new riff that's just, it's kind of pummeling. And uh, this happens before before the bridge. And the, and the riff's going, uh, maybe eight to ten seconds, boom. The band completely stops, and there's just this beautiful, clean, arpeggiated guitar that comes in. Don't count on me to let you know when. Don't count on me. I'll do it again. This is what I would consider mm-hmm. the at least the it's it's the first bridge in the song because I don't know if the next part is a third verse or a bridge. We'll get there in a moment. <laughs> yeah, I've never known either. <laughs> well, yeah. we're gonna de- we'll de- we'll debate that in a moment. But uh, uh, here you're in the bridge and just I always talk about on the show uh, the breath of fresh air, the departure. Where did this idea come from? 
this is brilliant because this is totally almost doesn't seem like it on paper should fit in the song. The band just stops and now you're just in this totally different world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was this something that was there kind of at the demo stage of the song or did Jerry have anything to do with this? No, that was there in the demo, my original demo. Um, I just think it, it was one of those things again, like there was no thought put into it. And I think that might just come from sort of being a young songwriter in a way of like not really feeling like there are any rules to it. You know, you just, well, why not? Like, why would I have something that makes sense? I, it didn't make sense. And I think I probably liked that, but I felt like, you know, I liked the part. It just seemed to work in my head at that time. And no one really put any, no one pushed back on it until there was a discussion. The only people that started to talk about that section was the record company. When it was, when it was going to for sure be the single, there was some worry that it was so different from the song and maybe that there's a dead pause before the guitar star yeah. starts, right? There's a, it's full dead air. And everyone was concerned that like, you can't have dead air on radio. They will, they will not play something that has dead air. And there's talk about cutting it. And, you know, very typical story uh, that you always hear. We stood our ground and we said, we're not going to make any edits. And they said, okay. Good for you. And it didn't matter in the long run, you know. No. Well, I guess what I was going to say, and, and that's, I didn't even think about, about the radio aspect, because you're right. They don't like dead air at radio, certainly uh, commercial radio at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think this goes back to what you just said, which is great, that you were you were young. It just fit. You didn't think about it. Do you almost feel like maybe if you wrote this song today uh, uh, and that part came up that you'd go, wow, that can't just be a bridge part. That sounds like a song in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, there are things that like that. You I, know, yeah, like totally. that, that part, that part could be a song like that. When I heard that, I remember hearing an issue. I'm like, whoa, that's left field. That is really different, you know, and it kind of showed even though this was technically your, your, you know, I guess first full length record and you were so young as a band, there's some maturity with that part. Uh, I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> like I, like I always say, it was no thought into it. It was just what kind of came. Yeah. Um, I know that part was not like labored over. I didn't like really try. It was just the first thing that came to my mind. We needed a little section there. If for some reason that chord progression popped into my head, I started playing it. I sang, it was the first thing I sang over it. And those lyrics were the first lyrics that were kind of in the demo that were somewhat gibberish that I turned into real words. And then that was that never looking back. Well, let's talk about those lyrics. Uh, don't count on me to let you know when. Don't count on me. I'll do it again. Don't count on me. It's the point you're missing. Don't count on me because I'm not listening. So uh, I guess some of those are what we refer to as a, a scat demo lyrics or just stuff you kind of put there. And then you went back and went, wait a second. Some of this kind of fits and I want to keep it. I felt like, yeah, it was all just gibberish at the time. Like, I mean, there were real words, but I didn't know what I was saying. There were just words to fill the space. And when I listened back to it, and once there was other words throughout the rest of the song, it seemed the message, it didn't hurt the song to me. You know, it just felt like it fit, I guess. And no one ever questioned right. it. You know, especially at the end of a record, you're always hoping that you're going to get away with what you've got, right? Like if nobody says rewrite it, you're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to rewrite some stuff. You know, I'm like, yeah. So if nobody <laughs> says anything, I was like, oh, phew, it got through. Okay, well, then it must be good. I don't have to worry about it. That's awesome that you just said that because you're the only person that's ever brought that up on the show. I have thought that I'm like, Ooh, I don't know about the, it could be a guitar party. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. This part kind of seems, this, this part seems like the weak link in the song and then no one says anything and you're like, yeah. okay, I got past the demo phase. We're getting ready to record this thing. No one said anything yet. It's like, yeah, you wipe your forehead, you know? Totally. Well, 
then out of nowhere, you know, at the very end, because I'm not listening, boom. Now you're into what I've written in my notes here as a bridge extension mm-hmm. uh, or or a third verse, but it's different than the first two verses. So I wouldn't even, I don't know if I'd label it a third verse or, and, and you mentioned a moment ago that you really don't know what you'd call this part. <laughs> I called that a bridge for years. It, it was only, you know, like maybe 10 years ago that I started thinking, you know what, I guess that technically could be a third verse. I don't know. I've always called it a bridge, but maybe it's a third verse. I think I heard somebody else call it a third verse once and it's <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it is. I don't know. It's a third different verse and, it, and it's twice as long as the first two verses. And I I love this part. This is just intense. I wrote here in the notes, you know, it's the heaviest part of the song, which it is. I looked up, uh, and I don't want to influence you, I looked up a definition, you can't believe everything you Google, but uh, uh, the first lyric here, well, I'm a no good Nick, lower middle class (laughs) brat. What what does good Nick mean? G-O-O-D-N-I-C-K. Yeah, well, what is, I don't know where that came from. Like, I I remember it's something, it's from something that we used to, we were referencing something, like... um, is that like I'm not a, I'm not a goody two shoes that type of vibe. Yeah, or? kind of like that. But I feel like it's from something like um, <laughs> from the, like the 30s or 40s. I don't know if it's like a in the in a movie or something. I can't remember because we're always referencing things like that. Well, it sounds like definitely an old fashioned term. But yeah. Where the hell did that lyric come from? Like, where who did you think of that, or did one of the guys? Or? Um, I think that usually a lot of times, like the person who's saying it is the guy who came up with it. And I'm pretty sure it was Steve-O that came up with that one. <laughs> well, I, we're, I'm going to go through all the lyrics here and we're going to break them down sure. here because I have something I definitely want to know at the end here. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, buckle up, folks. It's a long one. Here we go. Well, I'm a no good Nick, lower middle class brat, backpacked, and I don't give a shit about nothing. You'd be standing on the corner talking all that Kafuffin. Yes. Which we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that's a nonsense word. We'll come yeah. back to that in a moment. But you don't make sense from all the gas you be huffing. Because if the egg don't stain, you'll be ringing off the hook. Mm-hmm. You're on the hit list, wanted in the telephone book, like songs with distortion to drink in proportion. It's either, hold on here, the dentist or the doctor, depending on which version. And I want to talk to you about this. Uh, the dentist or the doctor said my mom should have had an abortion. So before we get to that, let's go back up to the next word. I don't know what it means. Kafuffin. Is that just something that rhymed with huffin? We used to say kafuffin. And it was just like, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, just bullshit. Like, you know, you're just talking a bunch of nonsense, kafuffin. It's just like, it's a nonsense word to, to you, you know. say we, just you and your band or you and friends at school, people you grew up we with. We didn't in have your friends area. at school. <laughs> we, we were our only friends. It was so, it was the band. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Because um, I, I honestly, and I had, I kept typing in Google searches for the lyrics and kafuffin came up every time. Like, I guess that's what they're saying there. It is. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's hilarious. And then the last line here. Uh, wait, before I noticed, we go on there, I was just going to mention it because we've been talking sure. about Jerry Finn and if he had, uh, you know, said we should change anything or do anything. He did. Right when you got to that line, I remember the one thing he said he didn't like, 
there was the line there that says, I'm a no good uh, lower middle class brat backpacked. And the lyric that Steve-O had was, and I'm holding much ado about nothing in reference to a book. And Jerry was like, that sounds really lame. You know, like, why? who cares if you're holding much ado about nothing, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so we changed it to to what it is. I don't give a shit about nothing. Well, and I, and I think the, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, definitely your audience at the time, they could definitely grasp to that lyric. I don't give a shit about yeah, nothing. Yeah. It's punk rock, man. It's it's awesome. It's great. The last line, and, and I when I read the lyrics, when I had uh, uh, had them printed out, because my, my trusted producer, Chris, always sends me notes. He'll send me the, the lyrics. And uh, I noticed it said, the dentist said my mom should have had an abortion. I'm like, dentist a that doesn't make any sense really because the dentist but i can understand that satirically or whatever it's funny it's funny lyrically but like i could have swore it was doctor and then of course i i watched you guys on killborn with the song i'll go through i'll watch a bunch of different versions i'll watch acoustic versions all kinds of stuff i noticed that the lyric video and the video that island put up for your 14 greatest hits with this uh both of those say doctor Mm -hmm. so where what happened there because usually when you do a radio edit they're gonna they're gonna bleep out shit or something yeah. like a four-letter word but what do you remember what went on there with dennis and doctor and why it was uh, different versions i've never ever in my life heard dentist i don't i have no idea where that's coming from it's always been doctor i didn't even know dentist existed somewhere out there as an option <laughs> And, and, and are you sure the dentist isn't sung? You're, you're, you're positive. Because I'm telling you, when I listen to your video, the actual video with 108 million YouTube views, it says dentist. And it says doctor in the other versions. Unless I'm hearing something. No, no, it's doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 100% doctor. Uh, I remember when he came up with the line. I mean, we were dying laughing. It was the best line of the song. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, and and before we before we move on here, I want to talk about Jerry Finn a little further. Sure. I love the fact that there is nine seconds of delay on the word abortion with like a flanger chorusy effect that's mm-hmm. kind of swirling around. Nine seconds. Yeah. I mean, that's an eternity in a three-minute song, okay? This is a three-minute uh, uh, track, but it works. And just the production value, um, the guitars, you know, uh, to, to the listeners that don't know, Derek is an accomplished producer. You, you, you've you done a, a number of things, and you know your way around a studio. I've been doing this a long time now. When I went back, and I've I, again, I still hear this track probably once a year walking into a mall or wherever. But when I went back and really studied studied this song, twenty years later, damn, this song sounds good. What do you What do you feel about it now when you listen to it, production wise? Um, Sonics. I, I think sonically it sounds really great. I think performance wise, it's really good too. I'm, there's a lot of stuff that I go back and I cringe when I listen to it of ourselves. Like uh, for some reason, that one came out well. I will say it was. It was a combination of things. Like, um, like we were bringing up that delay thing. I had a bit of, I had a delay on the back downs at the end of every chorus on my demo. So that was already there. That one that you're bringing up with the abortion that goes on for, that was actually from Tom Lord Algae who mixed the record. So he was a big part of the Sonics of that too. And like I say, there was, it was the combination of the band, Jerry Finn and Tom Lord Algae that just kind of came together. And that's, that song just really worked for some reason. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, we come out of this uh, 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 bridge extension or third verse, whichever you'd like to uh, <laughs> like to call it. Yeah. And now we're into uh, the third chorus, which is the only double chorus of the song. And the first half is exactly the same uh, as the other two. Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste my time, become another casualty of society. I'll never fall in line, become another victim of your conformity and back down. And then the only time the chorus goes halftime, the second half. Now you're in ha- you're in halftime here. Waste my time with them, yep. which is kind of like a, a backing vocal, casualty of society. Waste my time with them, victim of your conformity and back down. And then it goes back into the main riff uh, to, to finish the track. Do you remember the halftime part there, or do you, was it always straight, or was that kind of there from from the demo? Uh, I don't. I know that the length existed. I can't remember if we came up with that in the studio to go halftime. I think it's possible that once we got playing it as a live band, we decided to do that. That sounds familiar. I know in my demo I had the double chorus, but I think probably just you know the drum machine just kept playing the same beat which I used to do a lot in the in the old days. I just had one beat that would play through the whole song for my demos. So that probably came in the studio. Gotcha. Um, okay, we just got a note from our producer here. Chris uh, Chris is on the on the uh, <laughs> on the call with us. He said, yep. "I just watched the official music video for Fat Lip. It definitely says dentist." <laughs> do you mean like it it says it like in it's printed or it says it like that's what he no, not, sounds not, like he's not printed that that's what it's saying i'm telling you unless unless my ears and chris's ears are messed up i uh, i'd love you to go back and listen to it later derek uh, and 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 uh, uh at least shoot me an email and let me know if i'm hearing things i'll go to the doctor oh, it, on monday I, but uh, i believe i believe that it might sound like dentist but the intent is doctor that's that's all i'm I am not going to argue with you. You wrote the song, and I believe it's supposed to be Doctor, but damn it, I heard Dennis, and when I went back and listened to the lyric video, I heard Doctor, and I'm like, what is going on here? Because, again, no one would do a radio mix swapping out those two words, so I thought no, maybe no, no. it was Dennis at, at first, and the label didn't like it, made him go back in and cut the word Doctor in there. You know, I've just never heard anybody bring that up. I've never heard anyone say it. I mean, that's the part that the crowd sings, too, live, so I mean... <laughs> I'm curious now if the entire crowd audience is singing dentist. <laughs> Chris just wrote in the tra- in the chat, dude, it absolutely says dentist. So listen, we're again, I, I can't wait for the listeners to hear this. I'm sure I'll get a ton of mail next week uh, on this, which is going to, which is going to, there's uh, definitely weird lyrics out there. Cause I've had people ask me, are you saying hanging out in the back of an El Camino or with a handgun out in the back of an El Camino? I'm like, we're Canadians. We don't have handguns. I was going to say, <laughs> like, yeah, you, we're Canadian. We don't just, we don't have guns. Yeah. Yeah, a couple guys that hunt up, uh, you know, hunt up north <laughs> or over yeah. in Saskatoon or something. Yeah, but um, no one's got handguns. So as we wrap up here, uh, Derek, what was this like? You know, <laughs> here, here you were, uh, you know, roughly, th- you know, three and a half years in, into this career. 
Uh, you, you guys worked your ass off. I saw it. Uh, Less than mm-hmm. Jake played with you. You were getting a buzz. I kept hearing about you. Kept hearing about you in in the circles, as as we always do if you're in the in the business. And um, this song comes out, and I mean, it just it was hit at radio almost immediately. What was that like? It wasn't. It wasn't. A- it did take a little bit to get going. It, there was actually a moment where it almost just kind of stalled, and the label was going to give up on it. But um, I remember thinking it started out well. And it kind of went up the chart a little bit, but then it stalled and started to drop a bit. And there was a big discussion whether or not the label was going to put any more money into promotion and should we, or should we just cut our losses and go to Into Deep? And I remember we really, you know, pushed them. We just said, you know, we really, really want it to, to go. You know, you have a band who's willing to work and do whatever we need to do. And, and they said, yeah, okay, let's, let's do this. And they put more money into the promotion and kept us out on the road because they had to pay for us to be on the road in those days because we had, you know, we weren't really... Sure. Anybody, so that did start to, it did take off at that point, but there was a moment where it didn't, it almost didn't work out. You remember the first time you played it and what the reaction was like? And, and was that prior to the record coming out? Because in those days, you know, I was talking about before, before YouTube, you can go out and play your new material. It wasn't going to be online in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in yeah, you know, 45 well, minutes. We pushed off playing that song live for as long as we could. We just didn't even want to attempt it. We didn't even know how we were going to pull it off. Um, it was a difficult song to record. And to play it live, we just, I mean, it was weird because we didn't have any rehearsal time in those days because we were just constantly going from tour to tour. And we just never had a moment. And we were also opening, so we never got sound checks. Um, So we just didn't know when we were ever going to be able to, like, try to sit down and rehearse this. And we never really did. We kind of worked it out backstage, and we just threw it into the set one night, and it was a disaster. And it stayed a disaster for weeks. (laughs) And... We only had we only started playing it because it was doing well at radio. So people actually knew the song. And it was I remember there was like some meetings, the label and management were like, You guys gotta get this together. Because that song is at radio now. People know it. It's on MTV and it sounds like garbage when you play it. It's a it's a tough song. I mean, you got the rapping part. There's a lot of parts here, you know, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of fluctuation. Of course, you get into that bridge part. So there, there's a lot of different uh, moving parts here that I, I could see why that w- would have been challenging. So lastly here, when you play the song in you, t- today and you go out and uh, that riff starts is there a confidence that you just know that it's kind of a no-brainer that uh, that you got the audience in the palm of your hands and you just it's just going to go off, right? Um, I you know I you sort of have a it depends. Like I mean, if it's at our own some forty-one show, yeah, you know it's going to go off pretty well. Um, at festivals, you hope it's going to go off very well. But the one thing I think <laughs> you always rely we sort of fall back on is that even if the song if people didn't like it or if some people don't know it, um, that tempo, you can't not jump to it. And that was, oh, yeah. so you, so we sort of rely that, you know, some people are going to jump cause some people will definitely know it and it will probably get the whole crowd jumping just because it's that tempo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's very cool. And I want to thank you, uh, Derek, for taking the time, uh, to, to, to be on the show. Uh, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with of what you're up to, uh, solo the, the band and, uh, what we have to look forward to, uh, in 2021 besides the 20th year anniversary. I say besides, that's a huge deal. Uh, 20, 20 year anniversary next year of, uh, all killer, no filler. Yeah, it is the 20th anniversary next year. I, I mean, are we going to be out there touring? I guess that's still unknown. I don't know. I think we're just sort of like everybody kind of hoping and 
waiting for everything with COVID to get sorted out and um, are just excited to get back out there. Well, hey, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I wish you nothing uh, but the best of luck and tell the, tell the guys I send my best. Awesome. Cool. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed that Throwback Thursday episode. And I hope you all enjoyed the doctor verse dentist debates that you're going to go have with your friends today. If you love this podcast and you want to support us and also get a huge back catalog of bonus episodes, head over to ChrisDemakes.com to check out our supporting cast program. Have a great day, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.